Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The selection of scriptures that I would like to use for the celebration message today is found in Paul's second letter to Timothy, starting in chapter 1, verse 7. St. Paul writes, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do not be ashamed, therefore, of testifying to our Lord. So far, the words of Scripture. Praise to, the all, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. What a fitting verse to sing and hymn on this glorious day and this glorious occasion for the opening of a new Christian school. I'm reminded of reading not so many weeks ago that when the pictures of Saturn were first brought in, to Voyager headquarters in California. Dr. Donald Lind, the number two man on the Voyager team, was asked what his reaction was when he saw these photographs. And he said all he can think of saying is, hey God, you do good work. There are a lot of similar vibrations right here today when you look at the beginning of a new Christian school. Hey God, you do good work. There's a lot of school spirit here. And we want to ask the question today, what is involved in this term good school spirit when it applies to a Christian school? And of course a Christian, whenever he asks questions, goes to his instruction manual. And sometimes I'm afraid when all else fails, we read God's instruction manual. But the Lord tells us in our text for today what good school spirit is. It says, God has given us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now these words are being written to a young man who had reason to be fearful. Timothy, who was embarking on new projects against a lot of opposition, probably a deficit budget, but Timothy was a man of action, and he wanted to get started. And his teacher and spiritual leader, Paul, also a man of action, a seasoned man of action, was writing from prison and was talking about not being afraid. He was writing in a world that was dedicated to the eradication of the word of God and of Christ's gospel. He was writing in a world that was saturated with hedonism, the enjoyment of this world and of the flesh. Well, what is our world like? What is it like today when Paul addresses these words 
with the Holy Spirit's guidance to our world. We also have superpowers. We have a precarious balance, in fact, of superpowers. We're constantly reminded that each of the nuclear powers has enough devices to eliminate the other one many times over. This summer, Margaret and I had the opportunity to take a group of American travelers to Siberia to see a total eclipse of the sun in that faraway land. Ed and Jean Hoffman, Ed is here on the board of directors, can verify what I'm going to say about that journey. We have many mixed reactions. The eclipse was beautiful. I felt like saying, hey, God, you do good work. But the Soviet Union is depressing. Three times we were taken to the Kremlin to look at churches that had been turned into museum, museums, and we were shown lineups in front of the tomb of Lenin, who has been lying there water-cooled since 1924. And we couldn't help but feel that the Soviet government is trying with might and main to take Christianity from its boundaries, and it finds that it can do so only by substituting another religion, the religion of Leninism. Take the churches out of the Kremlin walls, and half of it would be empty space. They had Christianity. And for some reason or other, the government that now exists is dedicated to its overthrow. Thank God, instead of a water-cooled leader dead in a tomb that you have to stand in line for three hours to see, we have a risen Christ. We were told that in all of Moscow, eight million people, there are left only 50 churches. And those churches exist only under very careful government control. Christian education is forbidden. Sunday schools and Christian day schools forbidden. It is illegal to have a Bible study in your home. It is illegal to baptize anyone in the Soviet Union under 18 years of age. By that time, I suppose they feel they've had the person under their brainwashing long enough so they don't want to be baptized anymore. For the last three years, seven Siberian Christians have been hiding in the American embassy in Moscow, afraid to come out. Well, that's a terrible condition, we say. But how is it in our land? Is there opposition to the Christian gospel? Are there people dedicated to its overthrow? Listen to what the Humanist Manifesto says. The Humanist Manifesto is a document first written in 1930 in this country and just reissued with signatures of many prominent American leaders, including Isaac Asimov, the science writer, and B.F. Skinner, who probably has had more influence on American education in recent years than any other philosopher. The manifesto says, faith in the prayer-hearing God 
who is assumed to love and care for persons and who is assumed to hear and understand their prayers and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded faith. I can tell you from first-hand experience that because of the philosophy of humanism, it is difficult to talk in an American public high school about God. I had a phone call not long ago from Texas. It was the superintendent of public instruction. And he said, we're reviewing textbooks for our public schools, and we are looking at your astronomy text. We like it very much, but I'm afraid we cannot use it in the public schools of Texas unless you make one important change. What's that? You have to stop referring to God. He said, what's wrong with God in Texas? He said, you cannot teach religion in the public schools of Texas. And mentioning the word God teaches religion. I said, I'm quoting Sir Isaac Newton, who said that Jesus Christ was his greatest discovery. And the man, to my utter consternation, said, you have to paraphrase God out of Isaac Newton. I was recently scheduled to speak in a public high school on Long Island about my experiences in interviewing the world scientists about their religious beliefs. When I got a phone call from the principal, he said, you're scheduled to speak here next week, but we're canceling it. Why are you canceling it? Because the last high school you spoke at said you mentioned God, and we have enough trouble in this school without God. <laughs> last Friday night, I had a phone call, and the man said, you're scheduled to speak next May to a meeting of some 1,800. There are many speakers and many high school students, the top 1,800 high school students of Long Island. It's called Science Exploration Day. And we just went over the topics. And your topic says, how religious are today's scientists? I said, that's right. I spoke to them in many countries. And I want to tell these young people what these scientists believe about God. And he said, couldn't you change the topic and call it ethics? Why? We want to avoid the religious slant, if at all possible. Thank God we're starting a school here where we have the academic freedom to say, hey, God, you do great work. You can't do that in America's schools. Instead, a survey of American high school seniors that I read last week says, of every 100 high school seniors, 30 smoke cigarettes every day, 9 smoke pot every day, and 6 drink alcohol every day. And at the end it said that's probably why they call it a high school. <laughs> you know, that's one less time we have to laugh today. I have a new set of statistics that says the average American laughs 15 times a day. So now you're down to 14. Okay. St. Paul says, we have instead received as Christians 
the spirit of non-fear. We don't have to fear. I looked in my concordance, and you know the Bible says, fear not, 80 times. Starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation, it says, fear not, fear not, fear not. So if we're afraid, it's nothing new, folks. The people at Moses' time feared, and they're going to fear right on through to Revelation. But the Apostle Paul says today, the spirit of fear does not come from God. Fear God, yes. But the fear of earthly circumstances and what people will think and can do is from Satan and not from God. And God knows it, and therefore he keeps telling us, you have from me the spirit not to fear. Instead, you have, he says, my spirit of power. Now, power is in the Bible a great many times also. Wow, what power. And whoever said being a Christian is easy? It's very easy to become one, you know. God does that. But to be one, that takes power. That takes God's power in us all the time. And what power that is. God the Creator. God the Savior. God the Sanctifier. You know, we had a plane flight. In fact, my one ear isn't open yet from Aeroflot. If you can avoid it, don't fly Aeroflot. In Russia, you can fly nothing else. Eight hours out of Moscow, an overnight flight, seat broken, no seat belt, hardly any food. It's bad. Eight hours, no sleep. We land in Bratsk, which is almost in China. What's the first thing? Do we go to the hotel to get a rest? Ed, no. They get us on a bus and say, you will now see the hydroelectric plant and you will like it. <laughs> right? Why do we have to see the hydroelectric plant at this time of the day? Because it is the largest in the world. In Siberia, what are you lighting up? The largest hydroelectric plant on Earth. Power. Bigger than anything you have in the United States. The Soviets like to remind everybody of their power. Well, we have power too. We're in Suffolk County where, as you well know, they're building the most powerful atom smasher in the world. Maybe. I keep reading, they're running into little technical problems here and there, and that it will be a little longer than we first thought. But when it's all over, we're going to have Isabel, which is 15 times more powerful than the most powerful thing so far, because with it, we'll be able, hopefully, to discover quarks and to separate the quarks from each other, which are held together by gluons. You know, it would be very disappointing if after they get all through splitting it, there are no quarks. I mean, this machine is costing something like $400 million and overrun. But I have a theory 
that if there are no quarks now, God will make them by the time the machine is finished. <laughs> so that we're not disappointed. Now there's a theory you can't disprove. <laughs> I call it my democratic scientific theory. The same with the stars. We're talking now about a 600-inch telescope in Texas. Where else? God's going to make more stars, and you say, there you are, boys. Don't I do good work? But we have more power than that. God, in the first place, had to make the whole thing. How he made it, nobody knows or ever will know. We call it the Big Bang, but that's just a theory. And even if it's true, something had a bang. You don't bang from scratch. And then from there on, we're told that maybe it will all disappear in a black hole. A student in my astronomy class said last week, what does a black hole look like? I said, how do I know? We've never seen one. We never will. It's black. But it's there, theoretically, because of the tremendous power God put into this universe. But if that's power, and when you see the Bratz generators, you think of power. When you see these supercooled magnets here at Brookhaven, that's power. But he wants to know power. Try turning somebody's heart around. Try changing somebody's opinion. Try converting him from unbelief to the Savior. You can't do it. It takes God. That's what he meant, I gave you the spirit of power. That's what this school is dedicated to doing, to be a channel through which God can exert that power. And then he talks about the spirit of love. That seems almost like an opposite concept, power and love. You know, as parents, we either hit the kid or love him, right? Well, we say we, do, we discipline him because we love him. So it's not so opposite after all. Power and love, as Paul put them in juxtaposition here, are from the same God. And in another epistle, as we heard it read from the altar, in Romans, God speaks again about love. And he defines it a little more as Paul says, love must be completely sincere. Not I love you and you don't mean it. Hate what is evil. That's part of love. Hold on to what is good. Love one another warmly as Christian brothers and be eager to show respect for one another. That's part of love. Work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. He just goes on and on. All the things that come out of love. That's hard. In a classroom, if I've learned one thing in the classroom, it's not easy to be in a classroom. To love those kids every day. The one who sloughs off, the one who's climbing the wall, the shortage of money. You're supposed to love all that. I remember vividly giving a test bag in physics not long ago. Miserable. I told the class anybody get 40% did well. And I got exasperated, and I said, I want all the dumbbells in this room to get up. Nobody got up. 
One kid rose to his feet and I said, you mean to say you admit you're a dumbbell? He said, no, but I hate to see you standing there alone. <laughs> I have to love that kid. So I go up to him by the throat. I'm doing this because I love you. And then comes the last part of his three-part spirit in today's reading. Power, love, and a sound mind. I looked that term up, term up in many different translations. Maybe you don't know it, there are over 75 English versions of the Bible. To say nothing about the German one I have. Sound mind is the one in King James, and it still puts it across best according to the commentators from the Greek. A sound mind means you know one thing from the other. And the reason he has it at the end here is because it takes a sound mind to know when to use power and when to use love. And if you have all three of those together, you have the power and love of God in the right proportions and at the right time. Then you leave the miracles to God. Nobody ever asked us to do miracles, you know. We're not asked to convert anybody. I'm not responsible, ultimately, for what becomes of that student in my classroom. I'm responsible for preaching the gospel. God is responsible for the results. We plant, we water. God gives the increase. And if we try to take God's place, we're always in for trouble. We want results, and we want them now. We want better regions tests, test results. Sure, some students will respond right away. God sees fit to work in them immediately. Some take a little longer. In some, you never see any results. Some students, as I've often said, will go to Penn State and some will end up in the state pen. I've had one in each. One of my most brilliant students went to the penitentiary in such solitary confinement that when I asked to see him, they said his mother can't see him this month if you go in there. I couldn't predict which was which. Two weeks ago, we had the opening of the school year on the Brookville campus. And one of the high points of the evening was when our new board chairman, a graduate of the first Lutheran High School class of Lutheran High School in Brookville, Gus Bernhardt, spoke to the group. And he looked at the new students and he said, when I went to school here years ago, I didn't appreciate all the sacrifice that went into this place, what my parents did, and how other people worked to have this place here. But I'll tell you something, that if you get half as much out of this place in the form of benefits and things that will help you in your life as I did, it will have been well worth your time coming here. For every teacher, for every administrator, for every supporter of a Christian school, great results are always an upper. I have one former student who has been sending me things for the last 20 years that he feels I could use in writing and speaking. In fact, three of the jokes I told were from the shipment of last week. 
Grown up is much older. <laughs> That's a positive result. You're happy when you see that. What kind of school spirit are we going to have in Suffolk Lutheran High School? We're going to have loud cheering at the games. We're going to have sacrificial giving. We're going to have tireless volunteer work for functions. But far above that, we pray that we will have the spirit of non-fear, of power, of love, of a sound mind. Because then, as Paul concludes in today's text, we will not be ashamed of testifying to our Lord. You know, there's a proverb or a saying that says, use it or lose it. If we Christians do not use, actively use, the constitutionally protected right to Christian education, we might well lose it. Other countries have. It is our God-given duty to exercise this American and academic freedom to preach Christ to high school youth. Because then, the world, or a good share of it, that these people come into contact with, will look at them and say, hey God, you do good work here. God grant it. Amen.